Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, I didn't hear announcements, but we have uh, prairie cards, prayer cards in the seat back pocket in front of you. And uh, we are continuing to remind you weekly that um, we, we, would, we obviously want to pray for our body and as a leadership team and as a prayer team. We want to make the focus about what's going on in our lives and sharing our requests. And, and what we hope to do is take the, those requests and put them into a spreadsheet and then hopefully have them available for you at the, um, at the information booth uh, so that you come in weekly and we'll have an updated list that you can take home and pray uh, with us, at whether you can be at the prayer meetings on Sunday nights or not. By the way, there is no prayer meeting on the first Sunday of the month since we have our fellowship meal. But, um, you know, we want to... We want, to, we want to continue to pray for each other. Now, let me ask you, you guys that have put your requests in, has God done anything through your prayer requests? Does anybody have anything to share with us this morning? Because it's not just about praying. It's about, it's about understanding what God is doing through our body, and we want to give an opportunity for you know, someone here this morning to share for a brief time, what the Lord's done. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like this is something that as the Spirit leads us to do, we'll do. And uh, if it's you, don't feel bashful. If your heart's beating 100 miles an hour, that's because God's telling you to tell us what He did in your life. And I, I do that all the time. My heart beats 100 miles an hour. And uh, um, see, her heart's beating 100 miles an hour. Will you give her a round of applause? <laughs> Do we have a mic? Do we have a mic? Oh, she doesn't mean a mic, man. Terry, tell us what's going on. Okay. Oh, well, praise God. We get to keep Terry. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone else that wants to share anything this morning? What God's doing in your life through prayer. Joe, Joe Leducer over here. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? One more. Right here.
Awesome. Praise God, man. So, you know, this is what we call doing life together, right? It's us sharing our requests, but also sharing in the praises of what God's doing in our lives. And and this should be happening on an individual level throughout the body, but also in a corporate setting as well. You know, in the early church, when they went, they went to house to house and they, they met, you know, one-on-one, but they also met corporately. I believe a lot of what happened here is, yes, the scriptures were the center of the meeting, but there's also the practical side of, uh, we don't want to be theologians that don't apply our, our, our knowledge. We want to be people that are taking what we're taught and applying it into our lives, and we're saying, hey, we believe in a God that heals, and so we want to pray for healing, and, and, and then we bring that to a prayer a service, and we pray for it, and then we hear the results of that prayer. And so we want to continue to do that. And so I just encourage you, man, flood that box, flood the offering box with, with, with prayer requests and pray with us. If you can't be here on Sundays, let's be a, a people that, a praying people. Let's transform our lives internally and this community through prayer. And let's just, com- let's just commit ourselves to the Lord, amen? It's, it's uh, good to to hear what the Lord's doing, and thank you for sharing this morning, you guys. If you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 22 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Lift your hand up high so we can give you a Bible. Need one over here. Luke chapter 22, and also Matthew chapter 26. Luke chapter 22, Matthew chapter 26, and... Also, as it's probably already been said, if you're a guest, we have a little card in the seat back pocket in front of you that if you will fill out and take to the Welcome Center, which is directly across from the sanctuary entrance, we have a welcome packet for you. So uh, just to give you a little bit of information about us. Can you guys believe that it's November already? Is that insane? Like I was thinking, where in the world did this year go? I mean, I'm looking back, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's November. You know what that means, right? And you know what season we're entering, the season of gobble, 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 you know, but not the, not the season of turkey, the season of eating greedily. That's what that word gobble means, according to Webster. We're entering, and as your pastor, I feel the need to uh, address that uh, right now before we get into the season of eating so that we, uh, we don't, in the next 60 days, transform physically in a way that, you know, is not going to be, uh, you know, attractive to us and, and also to the Lord. We don't want to grow in width and girth. We want to grow in depth, right, and height and depth. We, we don't want to go the opposite. Now, some of you guys have already unpacked your big clothes, you know what I mean? The ones that you set aside for this season. You have them stored up with your Christmas decorations, which... Some of you can't wait to get out, and, and, and you're, you're thinking, well, you, you know why you do that, because you know yourself. You're like, well, I'm going to keep these fat clothes just in case. You know, you know it's not just in case. You know what's going to happen. If you hold on to those things, it's happening, man. Oh, I love this shirt. It's like a double X. You plan on getting there one day again, don't you? I think you do. But seriously... Listen, we have to guard ourselves. You know, in this season, I really do think so. Now, when pumpkin bars and pumpkin pie are before me, I lose all self-control. It's true. 
I, I've, I've, I've let a lot of things go in my life to try and help my health, but pumpkin bars and pumpkin pie is not two of them. So I, I, I'm sorry, but I have to exercise some self-control this year when it comes to that. And, and I, I think also when it comes to, uh, you know, exercising or guarding ourselves, we have to guard ourselves in a lot of different ways. Particularly also, uh, you know, not just physically, but spiritually. We have to guard ourselves. We have to be on guard because there's an enemy within. That enemy within wants to devour. He wants to take over. And what he does is lead you down a path of destruction. And so we have to put on a spiritual guard. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning in Luke chapter 22. Stand with me if you would, please. We're going we're to uh, look at how to guard against spiritual pride. How to guard against spiritual pride. That's the title of my message. Luke chapter 22, we're going to pick it up in verse 24 here. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink in my table, that you may eat and drink at the, my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, as he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And Father, we come before you right now. And we thank you for knowing our hearts more intimately than we do, Lord. We thank you for convicting us, Lord, in those areas that will lead us down paths that are paths of destruction. We thank you, Father, even for this morning and how your spirit will move in our midst and how you will speak into our lives so that we can begin to guard against spiritual pride, Lord against becoming haughty in our walk with you as if we have arrived on this earth. Like we are transformed and we have been changed and we're glorified here. Lord, we know you have much work to do in us. So we ask you, let us be thankful for what you have done, but let us not be content with the work that still needs to be done in us, Lord. We just ask you in Jesus' name right now to transform us. 
Make us more like your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, if you've been with us in our study, you know that Jesus is down to serious business here. When we get to Luke 22, he is, particularly this passage, he has already celebrated the, the Last Supper. The, he's already celebrated, instituted the Last Supper, celebrated the Passover meal. It is Thursday night. It's just hours away from the, the moment when Jesus will actually be arrested. And so the, the, the intensity of what Jesus is saying here is starting to ramp up. He is starting to be, become very, very intense about his um, disciples, about his apostles, and, and what uh, he wants to do in their lives. And, and, and so we find him here in, in this passage. We just finished last week learning that there was a betrayer in their midst. It was Judas. Nobody had a clue. Nobody had any idea. In fact, he was probably the least likely guy, least likely candidate. He was the most trusted of all of them. And yet he was the betrayer. The disciples are examining their own hearts and they're saying, Lord, is it me? Could I be the one? They know themselves and that's an honest, honest uh, you know, way to respond to the Lord. Lord, I know myself. It very well could be me. But if you're spiritually proud, then you would say, well, of course it's not me. It has to be somebody else. And, and what I want to kind of bring out this, this morning through the passage is the idea of of knowing yourself enough to know uh, when, know your weaknesses and know how to deal with your weaknesses and also know how to deal with your strengths. There are things that God does in our life and that's the danger. When God begins to move in our life, He starts from the day you're transformed, you become a son of God, a child of God, a, a daughter of the King, you know, and, and you start walking with the Lord. There, there's a danger of becoming spiritually proud because the Lord wants to use His people. And so when he uses us, uh, you know, so oftentimes we want people to glorify us, and that's the danger. We think it's us that the Lord is using. Look at how, look how, how incredibly I quoted that verse to that person. I know that's going to change their life. You know, it's not the power of the words that's going to change his life. It's the fact that you quoted it in such an elegant way that's going to change their life. And, and you know what I'm saying. It, it happens. We, we get that way. We have to guard against spiritual pride as if we have arrived here, because we certainly have not. God has much to do in our lives, and that's where we find our disciples here. We find the apostles in this particular moment in the Scriptures as they're spending the last few moments at the table with Jesus, and they're, they're continuing to commune with Him and have conversation with Him, and they begin to have conversation amongst themselves about how great they are. He just said there was a betrayer in your midst. We weren't sure if it was us, but now we're talking about how great we are. See how fast that can happen? It can happen like that. And so we want to be on guard against it. What we find here in Luke 24 are three things that I want to show you regarding how to guard against spiritual pride. First, we, we must never allow our assignment to go to our head. You're taking notes. Our first point is you must never allow your assignment to go to your head. In verse 24 here, we see a dispute has risen among them about which one is the greatest of them. Now, they are they're privileged men. These guys are literally the most privileged people, I believe, to ever live in this world. The guys that got to sit around the feet of Jesus on earth, that got to listen to his earthly voice, 
They got to listen to his, his teaching as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. None of, none of us will ever experience that. But these, got, these guys got to experience that. They were chosen for that point in time to be those people that he would disciple, that he would raise up to take the gospel into the world. Now, we have the same Jesus, and we have the same words, and we have the, the, the same Holy Spirit, but it's, a different, it's different the way that he is relating to us as he was relating to them. They were in his presence physically. And so you can imagine how that might go to one's head. Now, you have to understand, uh, you know, as far as eschatologically, they think at this point in time, that Jesus is now going to instill, inst- he's going to bring his kingdom into the world. They still don't have a clue that Jesus is going to die and, and rise again from the dead and then ascend to heaven, and they're going to be left to take the gospel into the world. They don't understand that yet. And we, we can see it clearly, right? We get that because we're looking in hindsight. But oftentimes when God's doing the same thing in our lives, we're missing it too. So we can't be, you know, uh, too too judgmental towards these guys. They are privileged, man, to be assigned this role. And I would say you also are privileged to be assigned the role that you have. Listen, there is no one on the planet that gets to do what you do, that gets to have the relationship with the Lord that you have. You're a privileged person. You have been assigned a specific role in God's kingdom. Did you know that? Like, we, when we became Christians, God gave us what's called the Great Commission. We all know that. He told us to go into all the world and to make disciples. That's sort of the blanket assignment, you know, the, 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 the chief and commander, Jesus Christ, he gives us the Great Commission, and he says, now you all go into the world. You make, make disciples, you know, teaching them and, and baptizing them and, and being with them and, and raising them up, and you go and do that. And yet, the Lord also, he has a, another, another role for you. He has a, another assignment for you. And it's specific to that. It's going to be in line with that. He's not going to say, well, God, God told me not to share the gospel. Really? That's not the Lord. The Lord doesn't recant what he says. When he gives us a commission and he tells us to go and, go and share the gospel, it's meant for all of us. He didn't say these specific people. He's talking to every single person that would ever become a Christian. Now, some of us have gone AWOL as it relates to this great commission. We've left our post, and we are running, you know, for whatever reason, we're running away from uh, the, 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 the instruction against the, um, the, the, the very assignment that the Lord has given us. Some of us are MIA. We've been caught behind enemy lines, and we are imprisoned. And there is sin in our life that's not allowing us to fulfill the great commission. And so we are trapped behind enemy lines, and the Lord would say, there's a way out. His name is Jesus. It's the same way you got out last time, and so you have to be willing to surrender it with, full, with your full heart. Lord, here I am. I want out. I want to be put back on the right side of the lines here. And he'll, he'll, he'll allow you to do that. Yet some of us, I think the, the apostles here fall into that category, are so busy nominating themselves for a medal of honor that they completely missed the whole point of sitting before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world to hear what he has to say because they're too busy patting themselves on the back and speaking about how great they are. It just blows my mind. 
And yet, I can relate to that. Lord, you're so lucky you have me. I know you wouldn't be able to get along in Columbia without me. And so I'm grateful that you've called me here because you need me, frankly, you know. And we, we start to become prideful about the call. Listen, the only good thing in your life are the good things that he does through you. You know that? It's only him. And we, 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 for some reason, have to be reminded of that over and over and over and over again, that it's the Lord doing the work in our lives, not us. Oh, we have the assignment, Lord. Look, look what I'm doing for you, Lord. I am being faithful. I am the, 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 the soldier that is not going to relent. I'm, I'm pressing forward. I'm doing all these things. You're so lucky to have me. And the Lord says, man, if you tone it down a couple notches, I probably could use you for real. I mean, I'm using you in spite of yourself. Imagine what I could do if you would tone it down and you would come to me humbly. None of us are great by any stretch of the imagination. I don't mean to burst your bubble this morning, or maybe I do. But that is the case. None of us are great. In fact, in our spiritual state, man, we are far less than acceptable, let alone great. Far less than acceptable, let alone great. The greatness that we experience in our lives is purely a result of the Lord. Now, the ego of the apostles here is, is, is being built up. And the Lord has to notch it down again. Like this happened before. If you were with us in, in July of 2015, you would, have, we, you would have come across this passage. We've been traveling through the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. In July of 2015, we came across Matthew 18. Same conversation, same dudes talking about how great they are along a path. And the Lord just turns around and says, dude, are you guys kidding me? You're talking about how great you are? And then, James and John, you're going to ask to sit at my right and my left? Are you kidding me? The privileged positions? Because you think you're so great. Here's what I know. Is that every time I fail a test, the Lord's going to give it to me again. And here we find the test again. The test will continue to come in your life. Now, you would think that after having taken a test over and over and over again that you would be able to ace it. You would think that you'd have the answers. Like the teacher sat down with you and said, well, here's, here's the problem here. You missed this here. You were off here. And, and so this is how you should have done this and you could have, uh, you know, navigated through this victoriously. But you didn't. So he says, well, let's file that away and we'll take that test again someday. When you least expect it, the Lord gives you the test again. Anybody, is that true for your life? Just over and over. And here's the thing is it's even when you're victorious, the test will continue to come because the Lord uses various trials to test our faith. And these trials are the things that we are weak in, the things that we stumble in. And the Lord will bring them in our path constantly to refine us and help us to see where we are with him. Could you imagine if he never gave you a test again? Oh, well, you didn't get that one right, so we'll just move on. No, no, he, he wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in him. The apostles, they get to take this test again and again and again and again, and so do we. Now, this is still happening in the church today. People are still pining for position, trying to get, you know, trying, they're patting themselves on the back, promoting themselves in the pulpit, 
you know, about the, you know, and, and I'm not opposed to people saying, hey, I wrote a book and here it is and, you know, you can read it if you like, but, but, I, but, but it's not a marketing tool, which, by the way, they have, you know, pastors going on book tours and, you know, throughout the United States and the whole point of it is to promote the book. So they have a book deal and then now they've signed the book deal and so they rotate through, you know, the thing. And, I, and again, it's not, don't get me wrong, I, I can't see every person's heart, but I could imagine in that role how you, would, you could become to think it's about you, about your phenomenal ability to pen a book, about your phenomenal ability to play an instrument or to be able to sing a song or, or write a song. And yet, who is behind it all? It's the Lord. And you know, oftentimes people are, you know, patting themselves on the back thinking that they're great. Jesus said that's how the Gentiles rule their house. It's how the Gentiles rule over people. They lord themselves over. They, they do what's beneficial to them. They lord their power over people so that they can benefit. Jesus says that they're benefactors. You know, the idea of that is it was a title that was given back in this early day to, to, to rulers and princes and, you know, <coughs> Roman emperors. <coughs> Sorry about that. And... Um, <clears throat> They were expected, if, they, if you were a benefactor, you would do something kind for somebody, but the expectation was that they would exalt you publicly. That's what a benefactor is. Somebody who helps you for personal gain. They do it because they want to be publicly acknowledged and to be lifted up. They want to be exalted. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. How dare you go into the world and help people and show them the way, the truth, and the life and, and bring the words of life to them and then expect them to prop you up and speak about how great you are. Oh, I'm never going to that hospital again and see that person. They didn't tell me how great I am. They didn't tell me how powerful my prayer was. Oh my gosh, is it about you? It's not. The Lord says that's how Gentiles act. That's how unregenerated people act. And yet here we find the disciples, the apostles here, are doing that. Leaders in, in the Lord's church and in, in his camp are called to be servants. And that's what he says. Who's greater? The one that reclines at this table? He's talking about himself. He's saying, hey, I'm greater, and yet what am I doing? I'm serving. I washed your feet just not too long ago. Because none of you guys, because you guys were too great to do it. So I washed your feet. What I'm trying to help you understand is that if you're going to lead in my kingdom, then it's upside down. You have to serve. You serve the people. You pour yourself out for them with no expectation of, it, of them doing anything in return. It's not reciprocal. You're not a benefactor. You're not doing it for personal gain. You're doing it because you love Jesus. And you're pouring yourself out ultimately for him but it but there's people that you do that through and so it's your act of worship jesus goes on in verse 28 through 30 he he tells them that his apostles have special assignments in the kingdom what we have to understand is as we serve the lord and we pour ourselves out that there is reward for that he doesn't want to, a worker's worth his wage so when you work for the lord it, it just you know and and you do what he's calling you to do, there's reward for that. It blows my mind that there's reward for that because he gives you the power to do it. He's orchestrated the good work from the foundation of the world. 
He's given you the strength and the capacity to do what he's doing, and yet somehow you get rewarded for it. I'll take it, but that's, it's just amazing to me that that's the way it works. There is a reward for completing your assignment. But listen, the reward doesn't come in this life. It comes in the next. So we have to continue, as Jesus said, to be steadfast in his trials. And to face, you know, we're going to face our own trials and, and eventually we'll be rewarded for that in his kingdom. In his kingdom, we will eat and drink at his table. And his, his apostles here, he's speaking to them, he says, he, they will sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. They are an incredibly privileged people. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 14, it speaks about them right there. In the New Jerusalem, the foundation of the wall, in the New Jerusalem it says this, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Their names are going to be written on pillars that support the wall in the New Jerusalem, and they will rule and reign over those, um, those, those in, in heaven. However, it's not now. Their time of exaltation is not now. They have an assignment to complete. They have to go out and make disciples. They can't afford to let their assignment go to their head, to allow pride to well up and keep them from really fulfilling what it is that the Lord is calling them to do. If they will not fulfill the assignment, God will bring someone else. Ask Judas. Ask Judas. Jesus gave him over, gave him multiple opportunities to come to the Lord, to repent, to come to the Lord, and he wouldn't do it. And so it ends up being that he's out. He's ousted. He's not an apostle of the Lord. He's now the son of perdition, the son of destruction. And what happens then is there's 11 apostles, but that scripture says there'll be 12. And so there's 12 apostles to this day. Somebody replaced Judas because Judas allowed his assignment to get to his head, and he became greedy, and he allowed pride to overtake him, and he missed the opportunity to be one of the 12. And we can argue about who that other one is if you want. They did cast lots, and, and Matthias is the one that replaced Judas. But then we have a guy come along the scene in Acts chapter 9. His name was Saul, and he became Paul. Many people believe that he is the one. Jesus said specifically to him in Acts chapter 9, I think it's verse 16, that he had a specific plan for him, that he was going to be a voice to the Gentiles, that he was going to suffer much for him. So maybe it, maybe it is Matthias, maybe it's Paul, who knows. But somebody replaced Judas because he didn't fulfill his mission. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty and humility comes before honor. That is what happened to Judas and that's what will happen to you if you allow yourself to, to, to allow spiritual pride to well up in, within you. The Lord will remove you out of the equation and he will assign your role to somebody else because he will not put up with pride. Pride is what would cause Satan to storm the throne of heaven and say, I will become the, like the most high God. God will not allow us to become prideful people. He wants us to, to come in humility to him. So if you're taking notes, the second thing we need to do to guard against spiritual pride 
is never trust in your own ability to follow Jesus. Never trust in your own ability to follow Jesus. Look at, flip over to Matthew chapter 26 with me. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at verses 31 through 33. And, and here chronologically, this, there's just a tidbit that I want to bring into this as, as it relates to this conversation. But here in Matthew chapter 26, this conversation continues. And Jesus says in verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the shepherd of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So after Jesus had heard the conversation about how great the apostles were, he wants to remind them how quickly, how, how, how they will all fall away and abandon him. Talk about a buzzkill. It's like the dinner table, man, they're all gloating at this point, and Jesus just brings it down to a proper measure. He says, oh, let me, let me just throw in some truth. You guys are all going to fall away tonight. In just a few hours, you're going gonna to run away from me. You're going to abandon me. You're going to leave me in, in my darkest moments on planet Earth. My apostles, the ones I spent three years with, pouring my heart out to, discipling, being there for, loving on, you know, nurturing and, and bringing up, but you will completely and totally abandon me. How great are you? Here they were just talking about how great they were, and Jesus wants to show them how cowardly they are. They're all going to bail on Jesus when times get tough. Zechariah promised that this prophesied that this would happen in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Away go sword against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now I want you to understand something that I think is profound here. Is Jesus isn't saying this because he wants to shame them. He's not revealing to them the fact that they will all fall away because he, he, he wants to reveal their their half-heartedness towards him, that they are walking by feelings most of the time maybe. But, but what he wants to do is help them understand that although they will fall away, although they will abandon him, he will still love them and he will be there for them. Even in the midst of their betrayal to him, he will still love them. He wants them to understand that he's in control of every single thing that will happen in this in the, the, this evening and then the very next day when he's crucified on the cross, he wants them to understand that this is God's plan for his life. So don't be caught off guard. You know, you trust me. Yeah, you're going to abandon me. But hey, you'll come back because I'm a shepherd and I seek out my sheep. Even though they're scattered, I will go get them. And that's what we'll see here. A shepherd does not stop caring for his sheep because they wander. And perhaps you're here this, this today and you've strayed and you've wandered and you've bailed on Jesus. The Lord wants you to know that He's faithful when you are not faithful. That it's, it's not based on your ability to be faithful to Him. It's based on His ability to keep you. You didn't get your salvation. You were given it. It's in His hands and He holds on to it. And He will never, ever let you go. He will come after you. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, Lord, I failed you. I, I've abandoned you. I've walked away from you. The Lord would say, hey, I'm right here. 
I'm seeking you. I'm, I'm looking for you. I'm calling out your name today that you would come back to me. I may have to break your legs and throw you around my shoulders, but I will because I love you and I want you to hear my voice and I want you to know my voice. But he is pursuing you even today. Is that amazing? He's faithful. He's telling his A-team that every one of them is going to fall away. But listen, after he has risen, they're going to reunite in Galilee. He's already telling them the plan. We say, well, God never unfolds the plan. He just did. He did unfold the plan. He doesn't always give us every detail of the plan, but he does give us enough to know that we can trust him in the moment. He's saying, you don't understand what's going on now, but just go to Galilee after three days and you'll see me there. Be reminded that I am who I said I am and I will do what I say I will do. Jesus is already looking past the cross. He's looking. He hasn't even gone to the cross. He's already saying, hey, I'm going to rise again from the dead. They don't understand any of this, but he is saying it for the purpose of them understanding it in hindsight, going, oh, that's what he meant by that, so that then they can take the gospel into the world, that they can trust him. He's, he's teaching them to hear his voice. And oftentimes, God uses your failures to do that. You know that? He takes your failures, and he says, now listen, I want you to understand, don't do this, and you do it anyway. And then you have the repercussions of it, and the Lord comes back to you, and he lovingly says, do you remember what I said? Don't do that. But you did it anyway, but I still love you. But don't do it again. Surrender that to me. And, and that's how he works in our life. <laughs> you got to love Peter here, man. He steps in. This is probably what I would have done. Though they will all fall away from you, Lord, not me. I will not fall away from you. I will never fall away from you. That sounds like pride to me. I will never, ever fall away. Who is Peter trusting in? himself. I will never fall away. Listen, if you're trusting in your own ability to follow Jesus, you will fall flat on your face. You can't follow him. He's on a spiritual path. You need the Holy Spirit to guide you on that path. You can't do it on your own. You can't know enough Bible verses. You can't remember enough scripture you can't put enough discipline into your life. You can't pray enough hours for these kinds of things. You need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to help you follow Jesus. You can't do it on your own. And thankfully, He's given us the Spirit to do that. Every time I rely on myself, I fall on my face. But when I re rely on the Lord, He never fails me. And he gives me the strength to do what I need to do in the moments. Listen, we can have a lot of pride in the moment when we're talking hypotheticals. But in these moments, Jesus reveals the truth. Peter, oh, you will. Look at, go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Peter continues this conversation, or Jesus continues the conversation with Peter here. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that you... He may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow this day. 
will not crow this day until you deny me three times. You know me. Jesus had far greater understanding of the heart of Peter than Peter did. He understood Peter's heart far greater than Peter understood himself. When he says, Simon, Simon, it's like your mom calling you by your middle name. You know, I'm not even going to tell you my middle name because it's so ridiculous. You want to know my middle name? It is stupid. Not really. That's not it. But my middle name is Timothy Junior Romero. Who does that? Who does that to their kids? Junior. Did your parents name you Junior? Yeah, I get to live with that the rest of my life. But, but Peter, Jesus is telling Peter, hey, wake up, man. I'm going to tell you some truths here. Satan is demanded to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. What Jesus is saying is, listen, the enemy is after you, Peter, because he understands your role in my, you know, your assignment in my mission, in my kingdom. And he's coming after you, and he wants to sift you. He wants to, he wants to destroy you. He wants to rigorously sift you through the, through the screen, and he wants to leave nothing left of you. He wants to destroy you. And Jesus says, but I prayed for you. And we have to understand, theologically, what's happening here is Jesus is revealing something important to all of us. The enemy can't just sift you. He has to ask. We can't say the enemy is around every corner and he's responsible for every decision we've made or anything like that because he's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. He's a single being that can only do so much. He's powerful, but he's not God in the remotest sense of the, the, the idea of God. He can only do so much. And in this particular case, he wants to do what he did to Job, to Peter. He wants to put him under severe trial. And he wants to see if Peter's faith can stand. So what does Jesus do? Well, I said no to him. Is that what Jesus said? He said, I prayed for you. That is the role of Jesus Christ in your life today, is he's praying for you. He's not going to rescue you out of every single trial in your life because those trials are what make you more like him. But what he does is he prays for your faith because what do the various trials help us with? What they do, they test our what? Our faith. It's about faith. So Jesus says, I'm going to pray that you have faith in the trial, but I'm going to let you go through the trial because I want you to have faith because I've not called you to walk by sight, but to walk by faith. He wants you to be strong. You can't endure as a good soldier if you don't have faith. And so he's telling us here that we are guaranteed trials in our lives. Promised. But we're promised strength and faith to match it. 
And so you can't ever say, this is too much for me. How can you do this to me? The Lord says, I know it's hard. And the trial has come. The enemy is the one behind it. But I prayed for you that you would have faith. He wants us to increase in our faith. That we can trust him in the most difficult times. Jesus intercedes for Peter. And he's interceding for you this morning. Peter still doesn't get it. He goes on and he says, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to be imprisoned and die. I, I will not deny you. And Jesus says, Pete, yeah, you will. Under the incredible interrogation of a little girl at a fire, you will deny knowing me. A little girl will say, you are one of those Galileans. You were with Jesus. No, no, I don't know that guy. Oh, yes, you do. Spotlight comes out. <laughs> Peter's like, now tell us, do you know him? I don't know him. Third time comes around. I don't know him. I don't know that blankety blank, blank, blank. That's really what he said. He really allowed his flesh to just rage in the moment to get himself out of the situation. I don't know you. I'll never deny you, Lord. He's walking by his feelings in these moments. In, these, in this moment, he says, I have strength to be able to, to, to you know, climb the greatest mountain. I can do it, Lord. And the Lord says, Peter, let's be honest here. You know this is an emotional response to my word here. You're responding emotionally. You know that in just a few moments, you're going to run hightail from me. You will lop a dude's ear off, but you will take off running. And then you will deny me. It's in your heart. I know it, but I still love you. And it's amazing to me, the love of God, that he would love us that way. Peter was so confident in his flesh. And yet Jesus said, man, you're going to deny me. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit in him yet. The Holy Spirit's not in Peter yet. Jesus hasn't died and risen again from the dead. The Spirit isn't indwelling in him. But when the Spirit indwells in him, Peter's a whole different dude, isn't he? Do not crucify me the way you crucified my Lord. You crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way that my Lord. You see the change? It's called trusting in your ability to follow Jesus and then trusting in the Holy Spirit to allow you to follow Jesus. That's the difference. And that's what Peter does. Maybe you've pondered the question, what would you do if somebody put a gun to your head and said, deny Christ, renounce him or die? And of course, we'll all say, oh, I would never do that. Of course, I would die. Pull the trigger, I'd say. Oh, really? We don't know. We don't know. And so what I know is that Jesus will pray for me in that moment. And he will give me the faith to stand up. That's my answer. I'm not relying on me. Because I'm weak, and I will fail him. But if I rely on him, I can't fail. Peter gets it, and he learns the point. He begins to guard against his spiritual pride by not relying on his own ability to follow Jesus, but relying on the Holy Spirit. Lastly, if you're taking notes, 
We can never rely on physical weapons to fight a spiritual war. Look at verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. And he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has a sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he has numbered with the transgressors for what it is written about me has, it, has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, <laughs> he said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now, you've heard the saying, don't take a knife to a gun show, right? Don't, don't take a knife to a gunfight. That's basically what Jesus is saying here. You can't win this battle. You can't. And in fact, he, he, he starts off saying, in fact, the, the walk in the world is completely going to change right now. Because remember when I sent you out before, I said, don't take anything with you. Don't take a knapsack. Don't take any money. Don't take sandals. Don't take any of that stuff. Um, what, what he, the reason why he said that was, yes, of course, he wants them to depend on him. But, but really, God was going to use the hospitality of people to bring them into their homes and provide for them. And he was going to do it that way. He was going to provide through people. But now the Lord says, the people are going to reject me so severely that when you go into the world, no one will ask you into their home. No one will give you any food to eat. No one is going to receive you into their home. So he said, you've got to be prepared. Now, some of us, we're still trying to live in a different world that God worked in our life beforehand, and he's moved on to this other you know, thing. He's still providing. He's doing it differently but we're trying to live back here when he's moved on over here and we don't get it. We're saying, but Lord, I'm, doing, I'm relying on you. I'm doing what you want me to do and yet he's not showing up and you're saying, what are you doing? Maybe he's moved on to a different way of providing for you. You ever thought of that? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He provides. But he doesn't always do it. The method changes, folks. The methods change. The way that he did it in your life 20 years ago, may be different in the way that he's doing it now. You may be on Social Security now. You say, praise the Lord, I'm barely surviving on Social Security. Thank you, Lord. But, you know, that's a joke, but anyway. Um, it's not a joke to some of you. I know that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But, uh, uh, you know, the reality is, is that God is doing it differently maybe today than he was. The idea is that we can't become, we can't get our feet anchored in the ground in, in methods, in the way that God does things, because he changes those things. In fact, if you were, you know, part of the Jesus movement, you know, in the 70s, the Holy Spirit's moving differently today than he was then, right? So if we're trying to do that back then, it's not going to work today. That's why people doing, you know, big concerts and all these kinds of things, they're, 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 they've kind of moved away from that because it's not working anymore. The methods change, but the message never changes. It is steadfast. The Lord tells his disciples they now have to be ready, so much so that they need to sell their cloak and buy a sword. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide protection for you. It's just going to be different. It's going to be different than what I was doing. Don't you ever buy a gun to protect your family at your house? But Jesus said, buy a sword. In fact, take my cloak the very thing that protects me from the cold, the, the, a necessity of life in this, in, in this world, very important. And you sell him, you get a sword. 
not so that you can be aggressive with it, but so that you can protect yourself. Because the world is going to just be unleash on you, Christian. That's why you need a sword. Jesus goes on to say, listen, this is all fulfillment of Scripture. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. You know, and, and he's telling his disciples, I'm going to be crucified in between two criminals. I'm going to be treated like a criminal, and so you can expect to be treated like one as well. A servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. So he says, this is all prophetic, and this is the way that it will be. And, and, and he's telling his disciples this, and, he's, and then he, they, they don't understand. They're, they say, well, let's just get some swords. Where can we get some swords? And they start looking around the room, and maybe the dude has a, you know, a couple swords hung up on the walls, and they grab them. They could have brought them. We don't know. Galileans were kind of sword-bearing dudes, so <laughs> you know, maybe that's where they came from. We don't know, but... But, but they pull out swords and they say, Lord, we've got these. And the Jesus says, oh, great. Well, great. We're going to be able to do this now. You know, he, he says, dudes, put those things away. You kidding me? You can't fight a, a spiritual battle with physical weapons. You can't do it. This is all meant to be. I'm in control. You've got to trust me. You've got to understand that I'm going to see you through this. He wants us to understand the kind of war that we're fighting. Listen, it's a war that God is 100% in control of and that he wins. 100% in control. There's not a moment in the history of the world where the Lord goes, uh-oh, they flanked us. I didn't see that. He says, oh, they did. Oh, watch this. Watch, they're going to flank. No, watch this. Now I'm going to flank them. He's at work. You can trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's in control. And so when we get in situations where we're like, Lord, I can't, I can't deal with this. I don't know. I don't understand. You just have to remember one thing. He's in control. He's in control. And he's working in your life. You can't fight this battle with physical weapons you need the Spirit of God. You need spiritual weapons, and He gives us those weaponry. It's interesting just to note, just because I know you guys like interesting stuff, but um, there was, a, in the 13th century, the Roman Catholic Church came out with this edict that was essentially saying the Pope has full control and power in the world, and they used this passage to come to that conclusion I don't remember who the, who the guy was that came up with it, but he said because Jesus had two swords, a sword that controlled the world and a sword that controls the spiritual realm, the Pope now has that authority. And I'm thinking, where do you get that? How do you get there? That's like, you know, that's like just taking, that's not even, that's not even jumping to a conclusion. That's like, I, I don't even know what that is. How do you get there from there? But, but that's the case. Not to bash him, but that is not re reality. Jesus is control of all things. The Pope is not. Jesus is. And we can trust Jesus. 
Listen, if we're going to guard against spiritual pride, we must never allow our assignments to go to our head. We must never trust in our own abilities to follow Jesus. We may not, we must never rely on physical weapons to fight a spiritual war. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, for your goodness to us. And we thank you, Lord, for just meeting us where we are this morning. And as we um, now move in just a few minutes of being reminded of what you've done for us through communion, Lord, we ask you to meet us in this place today, Lord. You know what we need. You know where we are, Lord. (laughs) You know our hearts. You know our desperation for you, Lord. So we ask you to meet us where we are this morning. We ask you for salvation to come into this place, Lord. We just pray that you would just move upon the hearts of those that need to repent and come back to you. For those that are living maybe in these moments of the past that are expecting you to provide the way you did once and yet you're saying to them this morning, no, I've moved on. Just come with me. I'll still provide. It's going to be a different way, a different method. So we ask you right now, Lord, to meet each person in this place where they are and that you give each person the ability to do what you've called them to do this morning. So we rely on your spirit, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And as- Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.